Well, you probably noticed I got up just a few minutes early. Um, my prompt was a prayer. I was like, oh, is that the prayer? And it wasn't the prayer. Um, but anyway, it's good. Uh, so when I was saying the governor released uh, a press release changing the re uh, restrictions on churches. So this is, I've been waiting for this for a long time. So the changes is this. Ah, uh, I get to speak without this, okay? I know, yeah, woo. I know. Not sure why. It's an interesting time, different day. I feel a little naked. <laughs> but it's, uh, so, uh, praise God. So you'll see our speakers uh, take their mask off. Um, so, unfortunately, the, the things are still true for you guys, so I'm sorry. But, we'll, but we, hey, for the first time, I can say this. We're moving in the right direction, right? So I'm excited about that. So praise God. Um, I know. And we'll just keep doing this. And uh, many of you know I've got friends, uh, pastors, who their churches have been shut down and all these types of things. So I know some of you want to come and tweak my, my ear a bit about how we're doing this. But, I mean, uh, we've been steady. We've been able to stay open. And we're preaching the gospel of the Jesus Christ, right? And so we're doing that. And so I do feel good, even though if I were the leader, we do it differently as far as the governor, but I'm not. I'm here. I'm your pastor, so it's all about Jesus, okay? All right. Um, we are in our series, Faces in the Crowd, and in that series, what we're doing is we're taking a look at all the different people, all the different faces that were in the crowd when Jesus walked this earth, and we're looking at them, and what can we learn about them, about us, and ultimately about Jesus? And so, Today, we're going to really use this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Tomorrow, uh, America celebrates his birthday. And the message that he had of equality is not a new message. You go back to Genesis 1, verse 27, and God said that he created man, all of us, in his image. Equal. And so in that is we take the opportunity to have conversations and talk through uh, this conversation of equality. There is no doubt that we need to have conversations. If you need any more evidence, I give you 2020 and now 2021. And it is dynamic conversations. There's many different veins of thought and stuff, but this idea of equality it, absolutely has surfaced and it's part of the conversation. And so we want to have it. We need to have it. The church needs to be different and we need to have these conversations. Now, the next generation needs us to have these conversations. Everything you read, if you talk to a young adult, uh, and we know there's a mass exodus from the Christian church in America with millennials right? These young adults. And one of the number one reasons is because they don't talk about things that matter. Everybody else is talking about them, but the church is not. And racism, equality is number one on their list. And so we need as a church to give to the next generation a place where we talk about these things, right? We need to talk about them. And I was reminded of that, and you were too, so let me remind you. Back in, I want to say it was probably March, maybe April, uh, when COVID hit our area hard, hit our church, and we were shut down. 
Uh, and we were going through all kinds of things. You remember the giving just went woof because that used to gathering people gave there. A huge hit. Uh, we weren't meeting. What does this mean? All of a sudden, all over our cities, uh, the racism conversation just exploded. And so us elders got together and we did an online kind of State of the Union for North Shore, if you remember that. Well, one segment of that uh, was with two of our elders. Uh, and it was Fernando, Feliciano, and Roger. Uh, great. And what Fernando did, and he shared with the elders before, and we learned about this during this whole time, that's Fernando on the right, um, that his sons approached him. And they said, Dad, this equality topic, this conversation, we need to have it because we face it as Filipino Americans. Uh, we face that every day. That's our reality. And then Fernando shared in this time, as his boy says, Dad, we've got to talk about this. He says, well, that was my story too. And so he shared it with us, how as a war veteran, um, he still faced racism in America. And as he was telling us, you may remember, uh, he actually broke down crying, remembering his past of walking and what that looked like. Um, but what you didn't see is a picture of how we need to step into this conversation. What happened is, Fernando finished that segment, um, and the cameras went to another area of the room where the elders continued talking about some other topics. But his head went down, his shoulders down, and he, he continued to weep. And I'm behind the cameras because I wasn't in the next segment, and I, was, I looked over there and I watched this. And he's sitting at the table, and, he, and he's weeping, remembering his journey. And then Roger Gray, who was in that picture as well, I watched him silently reach across the table and grab his hand. And they just sat there. I said, that is the picture. Roger does not know what it looks like to be a Filipino, what it feels like. But his brother was hurting. And he stepped in. He said, I'm with you. And that's where we need to be. Right? We need to be there. Our next generation needs to see us step it into these conversations. And so, again, so we want to take this weekend, uh, and I've invited a panel, and these are people in our church. Uh, I call them experts. They get bashful and uh, humble when I say that, but these are people in our church uh, that, you know, are really tuned into this. They're talking about this, and they be, are a resource for us, for you to talk further. And they're going to share with us a little bit. And this is Nancy Brewer over here. She's our missions and outreach director. And really, a lot of you know, over the last four or five years, she's been leading us in some conversations around this. So she's going to really facilitate us. And this is Mark Milbrick, and he's on our teaching team. He's also an international missionary. Um, and so we hear from Mark from time to time, and it's awesome. And this is Damian Thompson over here. Uh, he is our online and outreach pastor. He's been here forever. Uh, he is a trusted pastoral voice here uh, forever, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> uh, and so he'll share. And then uh, we're going to introduce somebody else that you, will, a lot of you will recognize, but he's going to be coming to us via video. So let's just step into this conversation. Nancy? Thank you, Scott. Conversations about race and equality. There are a lot of conversations recorded in our scripture today, which is Acts 10, 
And as Scott alluded to, we've been learning from these conversations for the past several years. Acts 10 was our theme passage for Missions Week in 2018, and then 2019-2020, we looked at Acts chapter 11 and 15 respectively because they record how the conversation continues. Wendell Moss, who later will be part of our team through video, used Acts 10 as his text last Sunday, last year on MLK Sunday. All that stuff is available online if you want to view it. And as a team, as we thought about today, we found ourselves returning to Acts 10. Because as Scott said, we want to continue the conversation corporately. And the truths revealed in Acts 10 reveal, reveal back to us our very selves. And they also show us what God can and will do, both in and through us, as we continue the conversation, conversation with him and conversation with each other. Let's pray before we enter into our scripture passage. Father God, thank you. Thank you that we can be present before you and with one another, whether it's in this room or online. We just still our hearts and our minds, things that would distract us about what we have to do when we leave or what we came from. We intentionally give those to you right now. And we turn again to you fully present with our mind and our heart to receive from you what you have for us and respond to you in the way that you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 10 is our scripture passage. We're gonna share it with you through a story. Um, you're welcome to follow along in your Bible or just settle in and listen. Listen to an amazing story from Acts 10. there was a Roman military officer, Cornelius, who was captain of the Italian regiment stationed in Caesarea. He was a devout man of extraordinary character who worshiped God and prayed regularly together with all his family. He also had a heart for the poor and gave generously to help them. One afternoon, he had an open vision and saw the angel of God appear right in front of him calling out his name, Cornelius. He was overcome with fear by the sight of the angel. He asked, what do you want, Lord? The angel said, all of your prayers and your generosity to the poor have ascended before God as an eternal offering. Now, send some men to Joppa at once. Have them find a man named Simon the Rock who is staying as a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. After the angel left, Cornelius called for two of his servants and a trusted godly soldier who was his personal assistant. He explained to them everything that had just happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, the next day around noon, as Cornelius' men were approaching Joppa, Peter went up to the flat roof of the house to pray. He was hungry and wanted to eat, but while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance and entered into another realm. As the heavenly realm opened up, he saw something resembling a large linen tablecloth that descended from above, being let down to the earth by its four corners. As it floated down, he saw that it held many kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice said to him, Peter, 
Go and prepare them to be eaten. Peter replied, There is no way I could do that, Lord, for I've never eaten anything forbidden or impure according to our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. Nothing is unclean if God declares it to be clean. The vision was repeated three times. Then suddenly the linen sheet was snatched back up to heaven. Peter was so stunned by the vision that he couldn't stop wondering about what it all meant. Meanwhile, Cornelius's men had learned where Peter was staying and at that same moment were standing outside the gate. They called out to those in the house, Is this where Simon the Rock is staying? As Peter was in deep thought, trying to interpret the vision, the Spirit said to him, Go downstairs now, for three men are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them, because I have sent them. Peter went downstairs to the men and said, I believe I'm the one you're looking for. What brings you here? They answered, We serve Cornelius, a Roman military captain, who sent us to find you. He is a devout man of the highest integrity, who worships God and is respected throughout the Jewish community. He was divinely instructed through the appearance of an angel to summon you to his home and to listen to the message that you would bring him. Peter invited them to stay for the night as his guest. The next morning they departed, accompanied by some of the believers from Joppa. The next day they arrived in Caesarea, where Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had gathered together all of his relatives and close friends. The moment Peter walked in the door, Cornelius fell at his feet to worship him. But Peter pulled him to his feet and said, Stand up, for I'm only a man and no different from you. They went inside, where Peter found a large gathering, waiting to hear his words. Peter said to them, You all know that it is against the Jewish laws for me to associate with or even visit the home of one who is not a Jew. Yet God has shown me that I should never view anyone as inferior or ritually unclean. So when you sent for me, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was fasting and praying here in my home at this very hour when a man in glistening clothing suddenly appeared in front of my eyes. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. Your generosity to the poor has been recorded and remembered in God's presence. However, you must send for a man named Simon the Rock who is staying in Joppa. So I immediately sent my men to bring you here. And you were kind enough to come. And now, here we are, all of us in God's presence, anxious to hear the message that God has put in your heart to share with us. Peter said, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. God sent his word to the Jewish people first, announcing the wonderful news of hope and peace through Jesus, the anointed one, the Lord of all. You were all well aware of that, that it began in Galilee, 
and spread throughout the land of Israel immediately after John preached his message of baptism. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with great power. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed him. We apostles were eyewitnesses to all the miracles that he performed throughout the land of Israel. Finally, in Jerusalem, he was crucified on a cross. But God raised him from the dead three days later, allowing him to be seen openly. He didn't appear to everyone, but he appeared to us, his chosen witnesses. He actually ate and drank with us after he rose from the dead. Jesus ordered us to preach and warn the people that God had appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And not only us, but all of the prophets agree in their writings that everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascaded over all those listening to his message The Jewish brothers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who weren't Jews, for they heard them speaking in supernaturally given languages and passionately praising God. Peter said, how could anyone object to these people being baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he instructed them to be baptized in the power of the name of Jesus, the anointed one. After their baptism, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. The word of the Lord. Today we're going to look at three themes from our scripture passage, Acts 10. And the first theme is blind spots. Miles McPherson has a book called The Third Option, and Scott and the elders in leading us forward have had some of us be, been reading this, and also we've had a, a video interaction with Miles. But Miles in this book says, a blind spot does not mean we don't want to see something. It means we can't see what we're missing. In Acts 10, we see Peter had a blind spot. Now, Peter, Peter was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. He had been greatly used by God. He was one of the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, in that inner circle closest to Jesus. This Peter had blind spots. What hope do we have, right? Yes. God first began showing Peter his blind spots through the rooftop vision. Peter was shown a sheet full of all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds, and then a voice told Peter, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter answers, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord replied, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The vision happened three times, and three times Peter replied, no. In one sense, Peter's no was a really reasonable answer. The Jews had a host of really strict dietary laws, which are found in Leviticus, and they observed them well. But the dietary laws in and of themselves weren't really the problem. The problem is these laws had grown into customs and culture with a lot of extra regulations about how to live your life as a Jewish person. These regulations were never given by God. And they ended up being used as a weapon in a larger war of words with the Jews, accusing the Gentiles of all kinds of uncleanliness, ungodliness, and the Gentiles responded with sneers. Bible commentator William Barclay helps us understand the extent to which this war of words had escalated. 
It was common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer thanking God that he was not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, such as giving directions if they were asked. But it went so far as to refusing to help a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need when she was giving birth, because the result would be only to bring another Gentile into the world. Now, the Gentiles could be just as bad as the Jews. They thought that Jews were these really weird traditionalists and that their refusal to eat pork was somehow an indication that they must worship pigs. Mindset spilled over into conduct. Godly Jewish believers did not share their lives, homes, or food with unclean Gentiles. And if a Gentile decided to believe in Christ, they were expected to become Jewish, which meant following all the lifestyle laws and regulations, as well as the rite of circumcision. So we have Peter looking for the meaning of the vision. And the Spirit tells him, three men are looking for you. And we read in verse 20 the Spirit saying, Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The Spirit left out one little detail, the detail about the men's ethnicity. Imagine the additional consternation in Peter's heart when he opens the door of his house and finds three Gentile men. God? God sends and uses Gentiles? Is Peter's blind spot becoming clearer. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Damien, I know that recently you've had an experience that caused you to reflect a bit about blind spots, and thank you for being willing to share some of that with us today. Uh, it's an honor to get to share with you guys. Um, and it's also really weird not having a mask on right now. Let me just go ahead and say that. Um, <laughs> so initially when I heard the phrase blind spot, um, it kind of took me to a place of something that's becoming more and more prevalent for me where I will uh, find myself opening a cabinet, bending down underneath that cabinet to pick something up and then lifting my head and whacking my head on that door of the cabinet because I just can't see it anymore and realizing that that's not really a blind spot that's called getting old. But um, I appreciated Miles helping us understand what a blind spot meant, and I just had an experience very recently here, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I had, we, all the services were done. Uh, my boys and I, we went home, and I dropped them off and realized that I had left something here that I needed to come back and get. So I said, boys, go ahead, go on in, get started making brunch or whatever we do, and I'm, I'm run back here. And I went into our next building over here to head up to the third floor to pick up what I needed up at my desk, and I started hearing singing. And I stopped because I know nobody's left here but me and our facilities staff. It's like, who's here and who's singing? Is what? Well, it's not, but Children's isn't doing anything. It was coming from our Performing Arts Center. And I had to stop and just stand there for a second and realized that I wasn't even hearing English. And then it hit me that this was our Hispanic service that was going on. And I have to confess to you, church, 
I had no clue that they were meeting at 1.30 on Sunday afternoon. I mean, this is, this is our community. These are our people. And I hit, I just, I hit for me just personally just a moment of shame. And I mean, and, and it even runs a little deeper because my dear friend and dear brother Greg Schaffnitz, he helps shepherd that amazing community of people, and he's always talking to me about them. And yet, I could not have been any more blind in that moment, sitting there wondering, who was that singing? Who was that worshiping? It was us. It was our own people. You know, one of the really effective things about racism is this. If we don't see something, then we don't have to acknowledge that it exists. I hadn't seen or laid eyes upon our Hispanic community in months. And so I could just let it flow out of my mind and just move on with all the other things that could just take up my time and, and attention. And I had to stop and ask the Lord to forgive me because they are a part of us. Wasn't it beautiful this morning to be able to hear the worship of the Lord in a different tongue, in a different language? It causes you to pause. It causes you to think a little differently about what does worship look like in different contexts, in different cultures, in different languages. I would suggest to you this morning that a blind spot is not necessarily a physical thing. A blind spot is really more of, of a posture. And that posture can take a couple different forms because when a blind spot is brought to you, if your posture is you just didn't know, then what an amazing opportunity it is to now place yourself in a posture of learning, of understanding. The other posture that you can have when it comes to a blind spot is you can hold up your hands and just you don't want to see, you don't want to know. Because see, if you see and you know, now you have to do something with it. Now that takes you to another place. But when we, as followers of Jesus, acknowledge a blind spot, and when his humility takes over, that place of learning, that place of growing, that place of understanding, new understanding, is right there for us. And it's an opportunity for us to grow in huge and amazing ways. So I have a question for you. Do you want to continue in blind spots or do you want to see? Can I add something? Um, by definition of blind spot, you're blind to. <laughs> Someone has to point them out to you because you don't know. I don't know I have it. Amen. Right? Amen. And, and that's the troubling part of it. Because, uh, you know, and I have many in my life. My wife's here, right? Did I hear an amen from my wife? <laughs> amen. Uh, but. Someone has to point them out to you. You don't know. And it takes a lot of humility to say, wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even realize. Uh, Amen. The posture, what, what is our posture, right? W will we let somebody speak to us? And then, then what do we do with it? And I liked what you said, if we don't acknowledge it, we don't have to face it or move forward with it. And that sort of brings us 
naturally into our second theme, which really addresses our posture, its proximity standing in the story. Because proximity invites us to interaction, reflection, and change. There's a difference between simply hearing a story and actually standing in a story. When we only hear a story, we have the luxury of indifference and inaction. When we find ourselves standing in a story, proximity, we have greater impetus to interact, reflect, and change, individually and corporately. If the angel hadn't told Cornelius to send men to Joppa to bring Peter back, Peter could have had the luxury of continuing to pause, pray, and ponder about the meaning of the vision. Or, you know, he could have just thought, well, that was the weirdest vision ever, and I was super hungry. But instead, by God's direction through an angel, three Gentile men show up at Peter's doorstep, and he is now standing in the story. What will he do? Welcome or reject the three Gentile men. Well, Peter welcomes them, and the next morning he sets out on that 30-mile journey to Caesarea along with six, six brothers from Joppa. We learn it was six brothers from Acts chapter 11, verse 12. You know, I wonder, I wonder how many men people had to ask before six actually said, yeah, I'll go with you, because what they were being asked to do, while it wasn't against God's word, was against culture, it was against tradition. And even for those who said, I'll go, I wonder what kind of internal trepidation they had because everyone would be aware that patriotic Jews would have a natural dislike or even hatred of Cornelius. Cornelius, he was a soldier in the Roman army. He served Rome. Rome was the oppressor of Israel. So now, six men are standing in the story. And they will become witnesses for Peter, but what is their account going to be of? A miracle or a catastrophe? Well, when Peter and his companions arrive in Caesarea, they find waiting for them not only Cornelius, but Cornelius had invited his relatives and close friends that all of them could hear from this man who the angel told him to bring to his house. Cornelius, all his relatives and friends are now standing in the story. Standing in the story, God did miraculous things in and through people who were willing to stand in the story. Because they were willing to stand in the story, Cornelius and all of those gathered with him, it's a quick summary, but imagine if this happened when you shared the gospel with someone. They heard the gospel from Peter, received the Holy Spirit, and were baptized in the name of Jesus. That's what we all long for, right? And the six men that went with him Wow, they got to see all of that live, in person. Likely some of their blind spots began to be revealed and the possibilities of living in a new way in relationship with the non-Jewish people around them must have been exploding in their minds. It's interesting that when Peter arrives in Cornelius' home, he says in Acts 10, 27 and 29, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I sent, was sent for, I came without raising any objections. And Peter, again, before he dives more deeply into the gospel, repeats the same truth in verse 34. 
of what God is showing him, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter, through his willingness to do unheard of and utterly unacceptable things in Jewish culture, he invited Gentiles into his home. He cared for them. He traveled to the home of a Gentile. He entered in. He stayed there. He ate with them. Peter, through his willingness to stand in the story, put himself in the position of letting God show him the true lesson of the vision of the great sheet. Now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. Proximity, standing in the story, it invites us to interaction, interaction, reflection, and change. And Mark, in terms of, of race and equality, what has God been showing you about proximity and standing in the story? Thanks, Nancy. <clears throat> you know, as I've been reflecting on this, I, I just I wanted to tell you guys this or start with this story. About uh, four years ago, we had the privilege of hearing from a, a dear friend and uh, a person that many of us, if you've been here for at least that long or longer, uh, have known this person. And he stood up here and he shared about what it was like to be a black man in Everett. And I remember sitting here and listening to his stories. I want to share two stories uh, because they're just that I've never forgotten them. Um, because of the impact that God has, has had on my life because of that. It's the beginning of my journey, in a sense. And one of those stories was he told about how he, whenever he goes into a bank, he has to make sure that he looks at the security camera as soon as he walks through the door. He has to find the security guard and smile at the security guard and smile at the camera. And then as he walks up to the um, teller, he has to make sure that his hands are are free so he, you know people can see him and he needs to make sure he doesn't have a hood or anything obscuring his head and then he has to smile at the teller and then as he leaves the bank he has to reverse that whole process and I remember as he told me that story or told us that story I was just blown away by that I thought you know what in a million years me as a white man have never even thought about that when I walk into a bank Never. It's never even crossed my mind, right? And then he told the story about when he gets gas, if it's late at night, he makes sure he gets a receipt because a receipt has a timestamp on it. That way, if, you know, an hour or so later he's in another part of town and um, gets pulled over, he can say, you know, officer, I, I could not have been in that other location because, see, here, I got, was getting gas, and here's the timestamp. Here's, you know, here's where I was. I have an alibi, Right? And again, you guys, I heard that story and my heart just broke because I realized I have never, ever had to deal with that as a white person, ever, right? And so it just struck me that I had the privilege of never having to be in a situation like that, never having to enter the story that, that my friend had to live every single day and just the pain of that. You know, Scott's message, if you remember last week, uh, he talked about Luke chapter 5 and the paralytic, right, that was being carried by his friends to Jesus to be healed, if you remember that. 
And Scott said something that really struck me. He said, his pain became their pain, and therefore, it became their mission. They took action, even though they weren't going through that themselves. They weren't paralyzed, but their friend was. And then he said, we must move from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And I have to tell you, four years ago, God began to stir in my heart, give me a compassion to hear other stories, to be willing to stand in other people's stories, to be able to enter the stories of people of color who, quite frankly, live in the same world that we live in and yet oftentimes experience it in such a different and sometimes painful way. But I realized my responsibility was to enter that story. Just like Peter, you know, he had a choice. He had this amazing vision, and before he'd really even recovered from that, there's a knock at the door. But he had a choice to make. He could ignore it, or he could go down and answer the door. And because he answered the door, his entire life and the way he saw Gentiles changed forever. My friends, I've come to realize that racism is an infection in our body. And if you know anything about infections, if, if they remain unexamined, they're never going to heal, right? In a dismissed or a, a minimized infected wound, it'll never heal. It only gets worse, right? You know, Miles McPherson, we've talked a little bit about him, uh, this book, The Third Option, that um, some of us are reading. Oftentimes, you'll hear from white brothers and sisters, you know, I'm not a racist. And his response to that is, well, how do you know? <laughs> right? I mean, we can self-assess all we want in a sense, but, um, but would we be willing to engage in a different kind of way? Could we ask a really dangerous question? That takes a lot of courage, I think, for someone like myself. And that is simply this. In terms of racism, asking a good friend. This has to be a good friend, a person of color that I trust, right? Ask them this question. In terms of racism, how do you experience me? And I, unfortunately, I think for so many of us, they could say, you've never talked about racism, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, right? Because I think in some ways our silence has been deafening. And maybe they don't know how to, how to engage us in that conversation. So I think just for me especially, I'm on this journey. I want to step into people's stories. I want to engage with people who are not like me and hear how they experience me and how they experience the world. And just to wrap up with, with um, everyone here you know, we may not think that we're part of the problem, and, and that's totally fine, but could we be willing to be part of the solution and see what that would be like to step in and stand in someone else's story? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you. Uh, and boy, what was floating to my mind is this word uncomfortable, right? That is not a comfort zone. And if you know anything about me, I like my house at 71 degrees, 
<laughs> I live in the Pacific Northwest for a reason. I can't do too much sun, can't do too much snow. I'm learning how to do a whole lot of rain. It's, I'll update you on that. But the deal is um, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable because it's different. That's exactly what you're saying. It's different. Blind spots. I don't understand. Will I, am I willing for healing and to answer God's call to be uncomfortable? And I would be the first to say, boy, that's a hard hand raise. Because, God, I really like my comfort zone. And you young people I see out here, just so you know, the older you get, the smaller your comfort zone gets. And you get grouchy when someone violates it, right? Why is us old people all seem to be grouchy? It's because of that. So, you know. So, um, but the point is, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. So, thanks for kind of inviting us into that. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, uncomfortable definitely describes, I think, how everyone in Acts 10 was who chose to stand in the story, uncomfortable, right? And I think I reflect on uncomfortable as, um, as uncomfortable as uncomfort is, it's more freeing to be uncomfortable and go with God to the place he wants to take you. To be uncomfortable when, he keep, when we're keeping some, ourselves somewhere because it's us keeping us there is a greater and a worse, I think that's bad grammar, a greater and a worse uncomfort than the uncomfort of going with God to where he wants to bring us. Again, it's individually and corporately, isn't it? Because when we do that, that's where there becomes transformation. And that's our third theme, intentional transformation of culture. You know, the beautiful thing of, again, being willing to stand in the story God is directing, it's the story God's directing, is that not only are our blind spots exposed, but we're invited to do the hard work of not only being uncomfortable, but to arrive at a more accurate reality. An accurate reality for our individual lives and an accurate reality for the systems, the cultures, the traditions that we've built up and kind of like around those blind spots. Well, Peter, he had wisdom in taking those six men with him because, yep, when the word got out of what happened in Caesarea, he was criticized by the circumcised believers, and their criticism is recorded in Acts 11.3. They said, you, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. There is no record of Peter being criticized for baptizing the Gentiles. He was criticized for going into the house of and eating with Gentiles. Peter broke custom and culture, not scripture. So in chapter 11, Peter humbly explains God's actions to all of those who had been critical of him. And in verses 11 to 15, sorry, 15 to 11, 15, ah, 15 to 18 of chapter 11, there we go, Peter explains the work of the Holy Spirit. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when those who had criticized Peter heard this explanation, were told in verse 18, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, okay, so God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. 
they could not argue with the work of God. Gentiles receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jewish believers had was irrefutable proof that one did not need to keep all the Jewish laws and culture. One didn't have to be circumcised to be a believer. The long-held systems, traditions, and culture that were linked to being part of the family of God with the need to become Jewish were shown to be a false reality. So it might seem like the matter settled, but it's not, because only a few chapters later in chapter 15, the church is continuing to struggle around the issue of Gentile converts being required to receive circumcision and follow the law. In Acts 15:5, we read, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the council at Jerusalem convened and the church continued to struggle with how to welcome Gentiles into the family of God. The discussion, it was lively and heated. They prayed. They looked at scripture. In the end, they were able to come to an agreement communicated in a letter from the church leadership to the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers did not need to live under the Jewish culture and tradition to be believers. It takes a lot of time and hard work to work out how to get along with each other. It takes a lot of hard work to move forward when we are not all in the same place on an issue. Maybe we can't even define the issue. And it takes a lot of hard work to learn how to adjust our cherished culture and traditions when God has shown us they're not his way and they are not genuinely life-giving in the name of Christ. Wendell Moss, who unfortunately was not able to be with us here today, is going to share with us on the intentional transformation of culture. As I alluded to earlier, he spoke on MLK Sunday last year, and he and his wife Veronica are members of our church. Let's watch this together. Hello, North Shore. Uh, I'm Wendell, and it has been a while since I've been before you. Um, you've just heard Mark and Damien um, talk about blind spots, and you and, and heard them talk about um, what it means to engage um, the stories of, of others. And what I want to add is kind of a, a, a pan view of the passenger and, and talk about how does God, how was God intentional about creating a new culture, even starting with Peter. And when he let that thing down in front of Peter, and this tray was full of, of, of God's creatures from all four corners of the earth, and Peter called it unclean. And that was something that, that was in Peter to consider it unclean. That was a culture that was in Peter, and God named it. And what God shifted Peter's thinking was to say, never call anything that I've created an unclean. Never call anything that from all four corners of the, of the earth unclean, but that it is good. And so that was one of the first ways that we see God um, bringing about and, and, and helping Peter understand there's a new culture. Secondly, we see um, God inviting Peter to go out of his way. 
against the law to go and, go and see Cornelius. And we see two different cultures God bringing together. And Peter thinks one way about Cornelius' culture and Cornelius thinks one way about his culture. But God intentionally bring, brings these together. And when they come together, Peter is in Cornelius' home and he actually, in the midst of being in, a, in Cornelius' culture, he sees what God is doing and he actually comes to repent. Cornelius finally sees what God is doing and he repents. And so we have these two, these two different cultures come together and they are both transformed as these cultures come together. And in this transform, transformative process, not only does Peter repent, but Peter goes on to share with people that have come from his culture and he shares with them how he was transformed by what God is doing. And he shares how, how Cornelius was transformed. And by the bringing of, these, of this new culture together, the kingdom of God is expanded. And so when we come to the end of this passage, we see that God was intentional from the very beginning of Acts 10, basically to the end of Acts 11, where God has helped Peter, he's helped Cornelius, he's helped God's people to understand that, that he was intentional about culture, but he's shown culture that reflects all corners of the world. Again, that plate. And when I say all corners of the earth, again, I want to highlight the diversity that is on that tray. And so when I think about culture, and I think about today, when I think about North Shore, the, the questions I, I, I want to bring before us is, what is the culture that we have here at North Shore? What, how do we see the culture? Do we, do we have a culture that reflects uh, all four corners of the world? How does that show up? Does it show up in our sermons? Does it show up in our music? Does it show up in these various ways that reflect that it is good, that all culture is good? Um, do we intentionally set up different ways that we get to experience culture from different parts of the world. And so those are questions that I want to put before us because I believe heavily that in Acts 10, God is inviting us, as he did Peter, to evaluate our culture, what's in us, and does it reflect all that he has created. So thank you all. Uh, I want to encourage you now as I kind of wrap up to uh, take get your elements ready for communion. As we look in Acts 10, 11, um, we also have to go to Acts 15 and really the book of Galatians. And what we learn that this conversation 
continued. The tensions, trying to figure it out, was not a one and done. When God speaks, it always should be that way. It's not God that's the problem, right? <laughs> it's Scott. Um, and so in that, we have to be a church that continues to have these conversations, to talk about that, to be open to the things that we were carried through, you know, to say from a place of humility, which I believe is the strongest character trait you can have, is humility. Because Philippians 2, it's the same characteristic qualities of Jesus. And be willing to hear, I've got blind spots. There's things I don't know, I don't see. And allow people to speak into that and be in a learning posture. And then it always takes action, right? What Mark shared is we have to get in proximity. We continue to mention Miles McPherson, uh, the pastor from California who wrote the book Third Option, uh, who we invited to speak to the academy and the church staff. And one thing he does, he says, is when he's working with people through this, he invites them to say, I want you to go out, not just take a glance at somebody from a different culture, but to step in it and walk with them, be with them, learn, be a little uncomfortable, get in proximity of them. And then when you do that, when a church does that, you could be what we're called to be, is to be different, to be salt and light, to be ambassadors. And then you'll transform a culture into the culture of Jesus, because that's the culture we're after, right, is a Jesus culture. And this topic isn't just in vogue now. It's something that, as you can see, goes all the way back to that first century. And Jesus says, boy, you're missing it. You have missed something I've been telling you from all along. The Gentiles being engrafted in, I have to be careful, I'll start preaching here, um, was not a new topic in Acts 10. You go through when, when Jesus came and what the angels said, what Jesus prophesied in uh, Nazareth when they got mad at him and kicked him out, he said other people. I gotta go tell other people as well. So it has always been part of the story. They missed it. And God stepped in and engrafted him. Acts 10, 11, and to continue Acts 15. So we've got to be committed to it, and we will be committed to it. But where it starts is not simple in programming. It's people's hearts, right? It's you, it's me saying, yes, I'll step in. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. I'm going to talk. I'm going to engage. And this will continue, and it will grow to be a place it is safe to come and hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? And that's where communion comes in. If you'll take the bread, and we look at the Lord's Supper, as Jesus gathered his apostles in the upper room, and he took the bread and the cup and said, do this in remembrance of me, meaning remember, remember what you don't know right now. I've been telling you, but you're gonna, it's really going to be seared into your, your memory soon is what I'm going to do for you. To give you access into the kingdom of God. What's at the foot of the cross is the most equal 
ground this earth has ever known. And he says, I want you to remember, that's where I invite you. As you hold this bread in your hand right now, I want you to think of the billions of believers today that hold their bread. They might call it the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion. Cultures all over this planet. In the name of Jesus Christ, because of the work on the cross, they come together on that level ground to remember Jesus. We have to have the same mindset. We call it communion because we commune with Jesus. And that transforms us to commune with other people and love them and understand that this is what unites us to be one, is the work on the cross by Jesus Christ and his spilled blood on our behalf. Church, we are one because of that work. And today, as you hold this, you are joined in the company of billions of people proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and saying thank you. We are together we are one in Jesus because of his death on the cross for us. So I want to give you just 30 seconds just to ask that question. Are you in communion with Jesus? And are you in communion with the four corners? Are you at that level ground? Might you have a blind spot that you need to divide in? Might you not be in proximity might you not be being the salt and light and transform the culture that Jesus calls us into this is just 30 seconds you and your Jesus and then I'll lead us in taking the elements let's take a moment In the night that Jesus was betrayed, sitting with the apostles, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. the same manner after dinner he took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant that is my blood spilt for the forgiveness of sin let's take and drink the cup together Josh will you lead us in just a, that song you wrote for us in unity that we might reflect Jesus Christ in our hearts and our community, and then close us in prayer. I love you, panel. Thank you. We take us there, Josh. Yep. Okay.
come and bind our hearts to yours unify this body lord we're praying you make us one renewing us the mind of christ to see your people through your eyes we're praying you make us one lord there are often times that um I'm not entirely sure what to pray for. And so I thank you that your word says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me all the time. Um, that Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father interceding, not just for me, but for us, for your bride. And we want to receive that and say yes to the things you are, are praying over. Um, Lord, I know one of those um, is, is that we would be one, as you prayed in John 17, that we'd be one as you and the Father are. Lord, thank you for taking us on the journey. Um, you're a God that doesn't um, half do things, but you're going to take us to a place of um, wholeness in the journey. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that got to share today, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to um, do the work um, in our hearts with the words that were shared today. That you would open our eyes to see opportunities around us to step into situations that you are leading us into, and that we would have the faith to obey and to step in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If, uh, if you don't have a bulletin, grab one, and on there is a QR reader. Uh, most of you know what that is. If not, you just take your cell phone camera and take a and it will read, and there is a place you can sign up if you'd like to be involved in some potential small groups and other things we're going to do to continue this conversation as a church. Online, you'll have a link in your chat there. Love you all. God bless you.